Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello, and welcome to the Times Business Podcast, where we take a look at the events that will be making news in the coming days. I'm Richard Fletcher, Business Editor of The Times, standing in for Robert Miller. This week, we're going to be talking to Phil Aldrich, our Economics Editor, before he breaks my travel budget and jets off to the IMF and World Bank meeting in Peru, turning right, I hope, when he boards the plane. We've also got Deirdre Hitwell here to talk about Tesco, which is due to announce interim results, and our Industrial Editor, Robert Lee, talks about the latest SMMT figures out on Tuesday. Will 42 consecutive months of rising car sales finally come to an end? So let's start off with Phil. You're off to Peru next week. Who else is going to be there? 144 countries uh, will be represented by their finance uh, ministers and their central bank bosses. And there'll be a stack of us journalists and a bunch of other delegates and hangers-on who will... Um, and there'll be... There's, there's endless discussions. Uh, the, the, the topics of discussion this time are... Uh, are clearly going to be US, the US imminent US rate rises and the impact that's going to have on emerging markets. Um, China's uh, problems, is it, uh, is it about to have a hard landing or is this just a managed, a managed rebalancing of the economy? And uh, th- there'll be other uh, sort of sa- satellite issues. Greece is inevitably going to come up because uh, that hasn't gone away. Um, and um, uh, there'll be issues like uh, like Ukraine, which have which have been on the agenda for some for these uh, big um, uh, you know, for these big weeks because um, there's a lot of effort being put into helping the Ukrainian economy support the Ukrainian economy. Uh, and obviously, this is part of the sort of pushback against the uh, Russian annexation uh, and sort of propaganda and, and and military war on the borders. And why Peru isn't this normally held in Washington? Yeah, so memory? exactly. It's uh, it's it's the annual meetings once every three years. It's always in Washington, um, in the big Bretton Woods institutions on Pennsylvania Avenue, World Bank on one side, the IMF's headquarters on the other. But every three years, one of the 144 member countries of the IMF gets to pay a fortune to host the whole thing. So a couple of years ago, it was supposed to be China, but they got the hump um, because somebody said something uh, untoward uh, about them. I can't remember what it was. And Japan was drafted in to run the show. Uh, and this time, Time, uh, so three years on, this time it's it's Peru's turn. I, I don't know when it's going to be our turn. And have you ever been to Peru before, Phil? I have not. I haven't <laughs> been to Peru. Uh, it will be on the beach. I'm sure you will be glad to hear because Lima does have a uh, does have a coastline. But uh, uh, I'm sure I'll be too busy uh, talking to all these uh, these big wigs. And so you've got 144 countries. I mean, you've obviously been to these things before. How, how on earth does anything actually get done? There's uh, there's there's loads of um, sort of uh, little huddles between uh, different interested parties. So you'll have you'll have uh, major groups like the G20 will be discussing things. Of course, a group of twenty people plus all of their hangers on. It it it's, it has become a bit of a a difficult seminar in which to get 
policy agreed because obviously the whole the whole point of this is to is to coordinate global management of the financial system and uh, global management of, of of the world economy uh, so that uh, any spillovers any risks everyone's aware of what's going on and they can everyone can operate together to try and make things run across the world as smoothly as possible that's that's the principle and so that there, there will be the the big heads of state moments but then there will also be sort of satellite uh, events where you know the 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 boss the, the the finance um, minister finance ministers of the BRICS, for example, they'll all be gathering together and they'll be talking about their particular issues. There'll be the Europeans who will be gathering together. Another big issue is going to be China's wanting to be part of the uh, reserve uh, to be a reserve currency, which is part of the IMF's special drawing rights basket. Which which if it gets if it gets um, uh, into this basket, it does give it a lot more sort of global clout in these kind of uh, in these kind of meetings on the world stage. You know, as as a, as a financial center so there'll, there'll be all there'll be all these kind of um s- sub issues which will be happening and and uh, uh obviously the, the over the overriding thing will be how do we get strong growth what do you think bob i mean you enjoy the odd trip out of the office but it sounds to me like a bit of a talking shop uh, I, you're, you're right fletcher i do enjoy trips out of the office but uh, uh the, the thought of actually listening to scores and scores of economists um coming up with opinions and coming up with hundreds and hundreds of different opinions um does leave me a little um yeah, it's one of these events where all the people are there are enormously important and certainly feel enormously important, and uh, and they they say enormously important things, but not an awful lot actually happens. It is a it is a bit of a talking shop. One, so just one point is the they, the IMF is is probably I mean everyone's expecting the IMF to downgrade global growth next week, so there's good, so there'll be there'll be a little bit of bad news to set things off. Excellent. Back here in London, where uh, in the office, we've obviously got quite a busy week on the corporate front. And Duda, we've got Tesco results, interim results, haven't we? So um, that's right on uh, Wednesday, and they're holding a big uh, press conference in the city for analysts and then journalists. Um, there would have been a lot of pressure on Dave Lewis already, but I imagine it, it's gotten a whole lot worse after Sainsbury's this week kind of surprised everybody. I mean, they only had a you know a, a very small total growth in sales of 0.3 percent, but obviously Mike Coop surprised everybody when he said that they expected that their profit forecast for the full year that they would beat them moderately. Uh, so I think there'll be a lot of pressure on Dave Lewis to show that his strategy for turning the retailer around is working, and I imagine that's what a lot of the questions will be about and also he'll probably update uh, the market on where he's got with sales obviously they've just sold their South Korean arm but I imagine a lot of questions will be asked about Dunhumby which seems to be falling apart the sale of their data and analytics business. Let's come on to Dunhumby in a second but just first I was rather I mean I wasn't surprised to see Sainsbury's surprise the city because the city's been writing off Sainsbury's for over a decade and it always seems to march onwards but I was slightly surprised by the market reaction because shares in Tesco and Morrison's went up quite sharply on the back of Sainsbury's. And, and it was as if, you know, uh, the, 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 why is the city assuming that Sainsbury's isn't taking market share from Tesco and they're, they, the, the assumption must be given the share price reaction that the city thinks they're winning back shares from the market share from the discount retailers? Well, why d- did you understand that reaction? Well, the view is that there's been a lot of people shorting supermarket stocks in particular like across the board particularly Sainsbury's and the view is that maybe because uh, Mike Coop uh, you know in addition to talking about Sainsbury's figures said that he was starting to see some easing off in food price deflation and obviously that's the price war that has kind of wreaked havoc on the big four for the last year or two so the view is that if the supermarket sector has started to stabilize that maybe we will start to see improvements and obviously if you're shorting 
all the grocers expecting them to, to continue falling, this was maybe the first sign that it's starting to get a bit better in the sector. But I don't think anyone actually really knew, and all the analysts today were saying that the share price reaction was completely out of whack with what um, Mike Coop and um, Sainsbury's actually said. Back to Dunhumby. I mean, obviously, Tesco have sold South Korea, but let's be honest, that's a big business, bigger than Sainsbury's, actually. Uh, it's uh, very successful. I know that because back to our conversation about trips when Tesco in better days, I used to take journalists out to see it. It's a, it's a big, successful business. They, 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 they're always going to be able to sell it. But Dunhumby is more interesting, isn't it? Because the speculation is that there was only one buyer left in the uh, running for um, Dunhumby, which was WPP, the the marketing company run by Sir Martin Sorrell. And the, 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 he's playing hardball by the sounds of things, isn't he? And driving the price down. And that that's quite a blow, isn't it, for for Dave. Yeah, you'd think so. I mean, it's quite hard to know what's actually gone on there because, you know, the bankers on this always say that um, Tesco will only sell for the right price, but the view was always that they would rather have sold Dunhumby and then thought about Korea afterwards because Korea is actually, although its sales have been falling, it is a very good business and, you know, arguably if they could have sold some other assets, they might have managed to keep Korea. But what does seem a bit odd in Dunhumby is Tesco renegotiated their contract with Dunhumby halfway through the sales process and obviously they still account for the major um, revenues for Dunhumby and they wrote their contract with them until 2020 which was obviously a much shorter time frame so it does seem odd that you would do that right in the middle of trying to sell it because obviously the value of Dunhumby started to fall after that because bidders weren't prepared But he's got to, to flog some much. stuff hasn't he because he's he got a debt of 20 billion something like that from yeah, memory Yeah somewhere around there and, and obviously you know South Korea um, will help but I suppose the point is that he keeps saying they're trying to do as as many self-help measures as they can before they have to go to So what will he sell? Because he, Thailand was the other big uh, Asian business, but that's obviously got lots of problems with the problems that have well, been in Thailand. It, what, what will he sell? Will well, he look at Eastern Europe? He could look at Central and Eastern Europe, but what was interesting this week, there was an EGM to vote on the um, South Korean disposal, and the chairman actually said that at the moment they don't think that they'll be making any more overseas disposals. He said it could change, but at the moment they feel that they're quite happy with what they have. So it seemed to be indicating that they're not looking to sell any more overseas assets. But as I said, it's kind of hard to say, and Tesco have taken quite a stern line that they're not briefing on what their strategy is, that you know they're not really highlighting ahead of time what assets could be up for sale. And I don't know if that's the right strategy or the wrong strategy, but it does mean people are a bit confused now as to where Tesco is going. And I think he'll have to you know, reassure the city that he has got a grip on it. And how is, I think they, they dubbed him Drastic Dave, didn't they, at the start? I'm not quite sure that was the, uh, the, the, the that was that right. But how's he doing? Because obviously he was very experienced at Unilever. Uh, he'd run big divisions, he'd restructured parts of Unilever, but he didn't have any... Uh, quoted company experience. He'd never been a chief executive. He'd never been in a very public role. How's he doing? And is he winning the city over? Is he keeping them on side? Because you go into the store and you can see the difference. You know, you can see they've edited down ranges. He's obviously getting better deals from some suppliers. You can see the stores are sharper. But it. But this is a quoted chief executive with big debts, a troubled company. How how does the city feel he's, go, he's doing? Well, I mean, anybody who's worked with him and knows him, for example, Unilever say that he's extremely competent. He's probably one of the best marketeers in the business. He was responsible for Dove, um, you know, the launch of Dove, which is now one of the, you know, blockbuster brands that Unilever has. So he, he knows the business. He's very hardworking. You know, so people think he, he's getting stuck in, but I suppose the problem he has is what does he he deal with first because you've got 
huge debts, one of the biggest losses ever reported. You've got a sprawling estate. You've got a huge property land bank. So I think the question is he's he's trying to get in there and actually get on with it, and then he's going to unveil the strategy because he has never actually come out and said, we're going to do this, this, and this. He keeps saying he's going to focus on the core supermarket group. So I think, you know, the question that a lot of people are asking now is that there hasn't been that much news flow out of Tesco and they've been keeping a pretty tight lip on what they're up to. So I think next week he's going to have to come out singing and dancing with uh, what is in store for Tesco going forward, particularly since the last Cantor figures show that their sales are still falling. Thank you very much. So finally, SMMT. So, Bob, after 42 months of, of uh, consecutive growth in uh, car sales, we, we get the latest data in the next few days. Is this about to finally come to an end? Well, the first thing to say is it's an extraordinary run. 42 months, as even an economist will tell you, is three and a half years. Um, <laughs> th- th- this is that been... right, Phil? Is that... Is that... They always have two opinions on things, so can't guarantee it. It's been going up for a number of reasons, uh, mainly because uh, borrowing money is uh, cheap. Uh, uh, cars, are, uh, it's a very competitive market, so uh, cars are very cheap as well. Uh, there's new technologies that people want to actually invest in, which is uh, not just uh, whether your car's doing better miles per gallon, but also all the infotainment you get in cars, uh, in, in cars as well. September's a very key month because it's about a fifth of all annual sales in one month, and that's because of the new uh, registration plate change. Uh, are we going to come to an end? Well, Plainly, all things come to an end at some stage. The the interesting thing for this month, a lot of people will be thinking, has the VW scandal, uh, will it have an effect? It probably broke a bit too sort of uh, within the month for it to actually ha- have a change. Uh, and there will be a sort of sentiment issues going uh, later in uh, the year. Most dealerships will tell you a major recall like VW is going through is actually good news for them because it means people go back into the dealerships and it's a great chance for a salesman to sell you a new car. So we may not see those... It's not a diesel car. Uh, it might just not be a diesel. The appetite for that uh, might not be as high as it was, but then uh, they'll have a lot of uh, diesel stock to get rid of and they'll, they'll, they'll make you an offer. But what we are expecting, we are expecting probably more growth in September but by the very nature of uh, economic sentiment uh, interest rates are going to go up at some stage people are just going to get worried about their borrowing it's going to have to uh, uh, go into negative at some stage so your bet is we'll have one more month of positive this month and then I think September will be positive I suspect we may get a negative month by the end of the year. That is the one part of the um, uh, of, of household debt that has been really quite rising quite rapidly is, is borrowing on uh, car leasing. Borrowing. I mean, if it's affordable, if you can afford your uh, 250 quid a month or not, that's fine. But if your uh, home borrowing uh, rates uh, are going to go up, can you afford that extra sort of amount of money you pay per month? I mean, it depends on your own personal circumstances. Good. Well, thank you. That's all for this week. We'll be back next week when you'll be pleased to know I'll be back answering the questions, not asking them. Don't forget, if you want to hear us weekly, you can subscribe through iTunes. My thanks to Philip, Deirdre and Bob. They're on Twitter, so do follow them. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk.